As I don't have a lot of time, I'm just going to ask you to turn straight to Genesis chapter 45. And I want to speak to you this morning about rivers amidst famine. Rivers amidst famine. And I, I would normally do a little bit of a longer intro, but I just want to jump right into it. A while ago, the Lord started to speak to me about Goshen, the land of Goshen. And it's a strange kind of thing to suddenly become fascinated about and aware of. The land of Goshen was a place in Egypt when the Israelites lived there under slavery. It didn't start there. But any time that a plague would hit Egypt, it wouldn't actually, you know, the plagues of Moses, it would affect Egypt, but it wouldn't affect where the Israelites lived. And it's called the land of Goshen. So I want to speak to you about that a little bit. But before I do that, can we pray? Father, I thank you for just the family business. I thank you that we're going to have a wonderful fellowship time and a picnic after this and with the fall festival. Father, I thank you for all these things. But Lord, in our heart, I know that your kingdom must continue to expand and come even in our hearts, in our lives. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to just make us more aware of who you are, of your presence, and of your power. I thank you for all the testimonies we're hearing. And I just pray blessing, Lord, on your people. In the name of Jesus, we approach your word with just a humility and a reverence. And I thank you for the authority that is in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Genesis 47, it says this, the land of Egypt is before you, and I'll give you the context in a moment. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land and let them dwell in the land of Goshen. This is what happens when Jacob and Joseph are reunited. There's a long history to this. And don't, I always say, you know, don't believe me. Go look at it. Go check it out yourself. It's my ploy to try and get you to read the Bible. So go, go read the whole history. It's, it's you know, you, you never know. But, and, he's, and Pharaoh says this to Joseph about his, and to Jacob about them coming in from a distant land and coming into Egypt in a time of seven years of famine. And Joseph obviously saw the seven years of famine. Pharaoh had a dream. Joseph interpreted it. And they had seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. And due to the wisdom that God had literally sown into Joseph's heart, they were able to bless the known world at the time and have much in a time of famine. So this is Pharaoh's welcoming Jacob and the family. And, and he says, have your father and brothers, speaking to Joseph, have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. So this is a great invitation to live in what the Bible calls the fatness of the land in a time of famine. In a time where, they're, we, you know, we, they were living in a dry and thirsty land. And it's very much like we have today. And the Lord started to speak to me about that. I, with all my heart, as you know, just the way the Lord speaks to me and deals with us as a body. And we've seen amazing things just over the last little while, God's presence. And we've seen so many people healed and so many lives touched and changed. We, we, even this past week, we prayed for, it was actually Barbara who had some bleeding on the brain and went for an MRI and there's no bleeding on the brain. Just amazing testimonies that we're hearing, which is awesome. Yeah, you can give that a hand. That is awesome. But there's an invitation, I believe, from the Lord. It's something, I first thought it was just about business, which I'll get into now, but there's an invitation from the Lord 
to God's people to understand what it is to live when you live in a dry and thirsty land, which we live in right now. Hello? Yeah, spiritually. When you live in a dry and thirsty land, how to be resourced from another place. And when God's people are flourishing, they become rivers amidst famine. The Bible says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And I'm not just talking about finance. I'm talking prosperity of soul, prosperity of family, health in the inner parts. So, it's something that the Lord has begun to speak to me. We may take a few weeks, but let's, let's look into it. And um, in Goshen, in Moses' day, who of you were at the encounter night a few, a few weeks ago? All right, I touched on a little bit of this then. The land of Goshen, it just means drawing near. That's what the word means. There's actually a Goshen apparently in Indiana. I didn't know about it. And there's a, another Goshen. And there's a few places that somebody somewhere thought about this text in the Bible and wanted that kind of blessing for their place where they live, so they named it Goshen. But Goshen in Moses' day is what, in a sense, made it well-known and made it famous. And you see it in Exodus chapter 8. It says, in that day, this is when the plagues were coming, in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in your midst. And we see it again in Exodus 9. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. So I want you, I'd like you to just imagine this for a second. There's a land where all the, the Israelite slaves live, and they're slaves to a world system which was Egypt. Egypt, you know, when you read the Old Testament, you look at it with New Testament lenses, yeah? So Egypt represents the world. Egypt itself, the country, is great. But in the Scripture, Egypt represents the world. They're living under a world system. And they are slaves, in a sense, to a world system, yet they are the people of God. And so what happens is when God comes to set them free, which actually represents salvation, that's what the Exodus represents. When God comes to break them away from something, imagine, say, here's the boundary of Goshen. That's Goshen, and that's the rest of Egypt. It hails here. I'm standing in hail. Now I'm not. I know that's a bit dramatic, but that's pretty much what happened. God made sure that the plagues that hit them did not affect God's people. It's a drastic thing for the world to see that in a famine, in a time of famine, in a time of extremes, in a time where the, there's so much is up in the air, even it is now politically and with families and in the nation, there's a people on the earth that are resourced by a different power. And it's not to prosper just for themselves. It's not look at us, how great we are, and we're no better than the world. Friends, we have to understand that. We're better in terms of we're saved, but our value is the same. The Bible talks about the parable of the lost coin. And when she found it, she rejoiced. You know, in all the angels, it's talking about when a person gets saved. But when the coin was lost, it had the same value as when it was found. It just didn't have the same purpose. It didn't have the same path. So here we see, this is the kind of the story that made it famous when God was bringing the plagues on Egypt to turn Pharaoh's heart to set people free so that they can worship the Lord, which is a picture of salvation for us. It didn't touch God's people. And they walked away with the wealth of the wicked. They walked away with the gold of Egypt. And so even in Psalm 78, it says, He sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured them, and he destroyed their vines with hail. 
So when the flies didn't come upon them, and it's not flies like in your kitchen, you understand? It's, it's flies from that part of the world which I've been there and I've seen. They beg, they carry disease, they drink blood. It's, it's not like, you know, little fly swatter. And the swarms of flies, it says in Psalm 78, which devoured them. And the hail destroyed their vines. It's the attack of the enemy that comes against God's people or against people to destroy them and their fruit, their harvest, their, which could be their career or their ministry. And sometimes those are the same thing. It's that which touches you to destroy you and that which touches the fruit of your hands. It, it's actually a very big deal. And so what happened was they were not affected, they were. And it was a stark contrast. And I believe with all my heart, just the Lord's been speaking to me for about six months about this, and I haven't preached on it much, but I believe with all my heart, friends, that with some of the things that I'm just aware that God is doing in our midst, but even in other places, I'm just aware God is, in a sense, on the move. He's on the rise. God is rising. The Bible says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And the church sometimes gets into a bad frame of reference, a bad mindset when we point a finger at the world at flesh and blood. The Bible says we don't fight flesh and blood. But there's a prince of the air. There's a power behind that. Now, I don't, I'm not impressed by him and I don't focus on him. That's the enemy, the devil, and he is real. But the Bible says, let God arise and the enemy will be scattered. And so when the church and Christians say, well, look how bad the world is, look at that, they're actually pointing the finger at themselves. Please hear me, and I'm not, not you wonderful people, everyone else. But they're actually pointing the finger at themselves. Why? Because the world is not in the business of letting God arise. Letting God arise doesn't mean making him bigger. He is, he is who he is. It's letting God arise in here. Let God arise. And the enemy, the invisible enemy, which has very practical outworkings in people's hearts, in their lives, in the destruction of families, the enemy will flee because God arose in a person or in a group of people. So when the enemy is having his way in a nation, in an area, it's not that we are to blame. It's a time where God will arise and people will hear the call and attend the call or they won't. Because it will interrupt your way of life. But he starts to bring certain desires and certain things into a person's heart. And it starts to change their outlook. It starts to change their perspective. It starts to change the path that they're walking in their life. And it's not just about being good, doing good things or bad things. It's their outlook. It's their sight. It's their relationship. Everything starts to shift when God starts to arise. And He is arising. He is. So, ultimately, Judah, the tribe of Judah, possessed Goshen's inheritance. It lists that in the Bible. And so there's a spiritual strategy because the, the Lion of Judah, which is Christ, that the area we live, if we understand something of God's heart for his people, the area is blessed. The people are blessed. The enemy scatters. Things begin to shift and move because I understand I live in a place that is ultimately his inheritance. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, which is Jesus that's Goshen in Moses' day. So that's what made Goshen famous. 
that's like, oh, wow, look at that. Imagine that. But who sowed the seed? Who sowed the work? Who did the, the labor? Who sowed in the spirit, in the natural, in their heart, in their family, in their decisions to make that a place of fruitfulness, a place of drawing near? The Goshen means to draw near. It was Joseph. Many, many years before. And so if you look at, you should be in Genesis 45. How do you recognize when God is on the move, there are certain things that begin to become very real and they're things that you're all aware about, things that is nothing new. See, a lot of people, when they talk about the word revival, these buzzwords, or an awakening, or they talk about these powerful moves of God, which I have seen. It's like some new truth. That's never true. It's something that we think we know that suddenly becomes real. It's, it's the basics. It's who Jesus is. It's the gift of repentance. Doesn't mean I'm beating myself. He changes you from the inside out, not the outside in. There's things that suddenly have a reality to them that you've heard all your life. You know, your grandmother, your grandfather, it's like this in the Bible, and you're like, yeah, I've heard, yeah, I know. And then something changes. That's when God is arising. And then people have choices to make. But it's things suddenly become within grasp, within reach. And there are certain things that I see here in this story that were taking place. So we're going to look at them really quickly, and I hope you can understand the prophetic picture from the Old Testament. Genesis 45, verse 1, we're just going to read 11 verses. It says, then Joseph could not restrain himself. We, kept, we pick up the story of Joseph after he's risen to power and his brothers now come. And he has not revealed himself to his brothers. This is him revealing himself to his brothers. And the hermeneutical principle of just when you read scripture, it's the law first mentioned. It's the first time that Goshen is talked about. And we see how Joseph what was happening in the spirit for this to become what it became? A place where people draw near to God, a place where people know the Lord. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he draws near to you. So, it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. That's all his servants, because he was the highest authority in the land. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, Joseph is obviously a, a, a Christ figure. And I, I've got a list of about 30 things that exactly what happened to Joseph happened to Jesus. I'm not speaking about that this morning. But he was a type of Christ. But he was also a type of you and me. A person who is in connection with God alongside seats of high authority to bring kingdom influence. Very important, Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, these people. He's also just representative of what it means to be a Christian in a, in a world system that does not, that thinks Jesus is ludicrous. Because he, was, he rose to a place in a position of authority and power, but he was not born there. He was born in God's family. It's to be born again but live in the world. Are you with me? It's to live, I live here, 
He lived in Egypt, in the world. I live here, but I'm not born here. I'm a citizen of another place. And when that becomes a reality, Christianity becomes real. Genuinely real. The Bible says you're born again of a new nature. You're a citizen of heaven. I'm resourced from a different place. So, we pick up the story here when he introduces himself to his brothers. And he says, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, much like Christ and his disciples. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph says a second time to his brothers, please come near to me. It's exactly what happened with Jesus. He appears after he rose from the dead. And this was like Joseph to them, coming alive. They thought he was dead. And Joseph appears, and he has to say twice, I am Joseph. It's okay. Jesus appears to his disciples. He said, peace be with you. He says they were terrified. He said again, peace. I am Jesus, don't be afraid. I mean, it's the exact same. And he says, and Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. That's Goshen. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For, those, for these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which they will neither be plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh. That's a crazy verse. Pharaoh was ruling the world. It was the America of the day. It was the Rome of Christ's day. And he says, he's made me a father to Pharaoh. Friends, there are people in this nation, or every nation, that are sitting in high seats of authority. But inside, they're like orphans. And they need kingdom-minded people who can come alongside and father them and look after them who are not interested in personal gain. That is partly the role of the church. To bring fathering back into the marketplace. Hello? He says he has made me a father of Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry up. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, the land of drawing near. And you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, and there I will provide for you. See, things shift when a person makes a decision. I will seek the Lord. I will seek him. Things begin to change. He says, there I will provide for you. Lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there's still five years of famine. So the obvious truth of this whole text is that no matter the condition of the world, no matter the, the status of the state, no matter, it doesn't matter in regards to people who genuinely begin to know the Lord and draw near to the Lord. Not churchgoers, not check the box. Genuinely, relationship with Almighty God. People who know the Lord. It is 
the best land to be. Because in Genesis 47, you'll see that Pharaoh describes Goshen. We read it in the beginning when he says, tell them to go to Goshen, the best land. It was the best of the best. Egypt was the, most, the highest power. And the best of Egypt, that's where God's people lived. So the truth of this, the, the, the major truth is very simply this. To understand who you are and to know the Lord is to live, in a sense, in the best life. It's not about how much you have. And these are the things that God is beginning to bring up in the nation, in people's hearts, in people's lives. If I can speak frankly, the things of the Spirit of God are becoming very real to many believers that previously were not interested. It's just God is doing something. And he's been speaking to me about this for some time. And so I know it's a lot after all the family business, but I'm going to do my best in the next 10 minutes or so to bring you something of what I see, something of what I see happening, but something of what I see here in this text about how to sow how to sow into the spirit and produce it for a place where, like, to establish a place where God is known, to establish a house where the presence of God is, regardless of the dry and thirsty land. Because the Bible says the church is to become a river. The church is to be a river and not finance, not supernatural authority, power, presence, to become a river in a dry and thirsty land. Because people have largely forgotten the Lord. Please hear me, friends. They largely have forgotten the Lord. You know, even many believers, it's just go through, you know, it's like in the day of Gideon, when he finally gathered those 300, it says they remembered their God. They remembered God Almighty, and we know Him, and we can know Him. And that's the place of Goshen, a place of drawing near when you live in a dry and thirsty land. And there's such a distinct difference between who these people are and who this person is Then everything that happens doesn't seem to impact them. How is that possible? How can that be? How come they're just steady? How come what's going on that is the Lord's desire in this hour. That's a, a place where Goshen is, a place of drawing near. Are you with me? Three of you. That's great. What are some of the things I see? Firstly, learning to live in God's best in a dry and thirsty land. Firstly, the fellowship of the Spirit. He says, draw near to me. Now, obviously, that's the Christ figure saying, you know, knowing the Lord. But he says, come near to me. But practically, this is the restoration of a family. This is the restoration of, of an actual family here in the Scripture. And I believe with all my heart that not only one of the factors that have led to the destruction of the family unit in this nation is the disunity in the church. See, when God's family is fractured, it will have a practical outflow. The devil is not afraid of a large church. He's afraid of unity in a church. 
Why? Because he remembers a time on the earth when it only took 12. 12 men who knew God. Jonathan Edwards, one man who knew God. Genuinely knew the Lord. Large numbers. He's not, he's not threatened by that. That's the world's thinking. That's the world's success. He is threatened by unity within a body. Because he remembers what that was like. And when the church becomes fractured and they fight themselves inside the walls of the church, you will see it play out in whatever nation that is, in the family structure. But you know, the Lord calls us to draw near, but friends, he also calls us to draw near to each other. You know, it's the question of who are we of? The Bible says in John 14 or 13 to 17, it's the great farewell discourse, the great teaching of the Holy Spirit by Jesus. He says a few times, be in the world but not of it. And it's a famous, people say that. But you know in Acts chapter 2, I was going to read it to you, but I, I won't now. When, you know when it says, and I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, the quoting of Joel 2. Can you guys, you know what I'm saying? You know what it actually says? It says, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. You know, it's are we of the spirit or are we of the world? That's not a you better be better. It's not a whip at all. It's to understand that when the church was born, when the spirit of God was poured out, he poured out of the spirit. John 15, 26 says the spirit that proceeds from the father. God said, I'm going to take in my own essence and I'm going to pour it out on humanity. What was previously only allowed for prophets, priests, and kings. I'm going to pour out upon people of myself, my DNA, my heart, the way I think, who I am. And they're going to then be of the spirit, of my people, of my heart. And Jesus in his teaching of the Holy Spirit says many times, don't be of the world. Be in it, but don't be of it. So people think the example or the, what we need to do is get out of the world. And so we remove ourselves and go live on a mountain. No, no, no. Be in it. Come be a light up there. That's easy. Be in it, but be of him. Very big difference. Because, you see, the very identity of the church, ecclesia, that's the word church, the called out ones. Because learning to live in God's best amidst famine is to understand what is possible in the fellowship between believers. How many of you have heard messages or sermons or have had these desires in your heart? You look at Acts chapter 2. Yeah, you look at Acts 2 and you're like, they dwelt together, they lived together, they shared everything in common, they gave to one another, they ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart. It's the famous biblical community. And the word community has become a buzzword too. I want community, I want community. Friends, please hear my heart with what I'm about to say. Actually, I'm gonna read it because I said it better when I wrote it down. The height of fellowship, that word kinonia in the Bible, that can exist between believers is often not seen. It's rarely seen on the earth. And we see it in the book of Acts. And so what people, what we all do, what we've all done and what often happens in the church is we pursue, we say we want community, we want what we see in Acts. So we must be intentional, we must have groups, or which is good, or we must do this, or we must have, a, so what we do, or we must have this many barbecues and family, 
which is great. I love all those things because barbecue. But what, what is good to understand is that we pursue the, the end, the community we see in Acts. We pursue the end without the means. See, what had just happened before they had this dramatic display of supernatural community, the Holy Spirit had come to the earth. And he had indwelled men and women for the first time. He had changed their hearts, removed stuff from them that they had struggled with. He turned them inside out. And all of a sudden, supernatural community is born. They love each other with an unnatural love. They give everything they have. They don't long for it anymore. Something comes to change a person, and the end is a community we see in the book of Acts that everyone chases, but the means is the person of the Holy Spirit. We cannot demand that community. We cannot get, try to get the end without the means which is the impact, the person of power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, I've seen God move with my own eyes. I've seen God move in power on retreats, on events, even here. And the people that are there are tied together. Who knows what I'm talking about? The people that experience God like that together, it's like they they woven into each other at a different depth. Yeah? Why? The Spirit of God moved in them together. And they are tied together like that. And they're vulnerable and they open up and they share. And there's a biblical picture of the height of the fellowship that can exist between believer to believer. And when the church, I hear so many Christians, this is not a hear my heart, when the when people say, I just find it easier to get on with the world. The Bible says that the world cannot receive the Spirit. It neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives in you and He lives with you and will be in you. John 14. And so when believers are just finding far more fellowship in the world, there's something wrong in the church. Because the height of fellowship, the height of kinonia, that word fellowship, kinonia, means intercourse. It doesn't mean that's got to happen. It just means the highest form of intimacy between two believers that are not married is in believer to believer. We are blood covenanted to one another. We, are, we have the Spirit of God. We are temples of the living God. And we have a possibility of fellowship. And so when the church becomes professional, and it's this, and then we do this, and, then, and everything is professional, and everything is perfect, and you, it's a perfect church, but there's no... Liberty, there's no fellowship. Because we pursue the end. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the guy who was hung, unfortunately, in World War II, and he was killed. He was a great, prolific Christian and writer. He said, those who love the idea of the Christian community often destroy the actual Christian community because they paint a picture of what they think it should look like and put that demand on everybody else. I don't know why I'm going down this road. But friends, I, this is why I always focus on the relationship with the Lord and of receiving the Holy Spirit into your life. Why? Because He does things inside of you 
that make genuine biblical fellowship possible. There is the height of fellowship that can be experienced in the church world that has not been seen for a long time. <laughs> for a long time. You know, heaven is that times, that closeness. But when people are forced to wear a mask, a Christian mask, you know, people say, oh, I can get home now, I, I can be myself. There's, I don't want to get into that, there's a few problems there. So, my heart is to just this other points, I was going to bring you five, but clearly we're going to do one. You know, I'll just read you two scriptures, then we'll be done. So you have to see, even those who walked with Jesus, they were fighting, arguing, bickering. Who's the greatest? I want to sit in the best seat. I want to. They were, all the stuff was happening until the Holy Spirit came, even with the disciples. Soon as the Holy Spirit came, you don't see that in them anymore. Something changed. They walked with Christ. They couldn't get along. They fought Peter Cuddlefordude's ear. You know? They were insecure. They didn't even think they could ask Jesus a question. So Peter leans to John and says, you ask him a question because I don't think he'll answer me. All the stuff we see in relationships. And then in the book of Acts, gone. What changed? The Holy Spirit indwelt a person. That is the means to the end of biblical, true fellowship. It doesn't mean getting along perfectly. It doesn't mean agreement. It's, it actually is a supernatural type of fellowship. I've experienced it. And when God is on the rise, there will be a choice for that. When God moves like that, there is a moment or a season when you can feel drawn into that. That's what happened with Joseph. And his, there's a drawing, draw near to me. And then you make a choice. Because the drawing will come. Come in. Come in. Come in. And if you ignore it long enough, it'll stop. But it will stay there for a season. Come. Experience fellowship with Him, but also with one another. It's the famous verse. This is how people will know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. When that's not there, we're forced to have programs and be copy the world and because there's something missing. Now I believe and I say this with not pride, in this body we value this. The Holy Spirit is present and we see it but it's only beginning. There's a height of fellowship friends. I've preached this before and I've gone into all the blood covenants and histories and how they used to do all the cool theology but people just look at you like what? I've even had people say, you're unrealistic. No, it's what we see here. It's what we see. And it even, the disciples, it's, I'll read you two scriptures, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The kinonia, that's the same word, of the Holy Spirit. People say, well, that's, that's their relationship with God. But you know what I've discovered? When a person has fellowship with the Holy Spirit, genuine, they're easier to have fellowship with. It's just the truth. They're easier to be around. 1 John 1, 3. 
that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that's Jesus, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So, I'll leave it there. To live in the best of the land, in a dry and thirsty land, God is bringing, I believe, a distinct separation between those who genuinely know the Lord or at least have positioned himself to seek his presence and to seek his heart. And you will find those people are unaffected by everything that's happening out there because they're connected to a different source. And it is the point where the world will look and say, what's going on there? There were more points, and they were very interesting. But we'll get to them. I bless you. I love you guys. I really do.